Hello and welcome in everyone to the Bird Game Blitz podcast. I'm the co-host Blake Murphy. You can follow on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Join as always by my co-host Johnny, Johnny's Football on Twitter. Johnny, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Blake. We've, uh, we've survived the bye week. Big game to preview this coming Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs that sees a uh, historic line uh, against our Arizona Cardinals currently sitting at 16 and a half points. It's been a while since they've been that large of an underdog, but yeah, it uh, should be interesting one way or the other. Definitely. Yes. We also have a little bit of news for those of you who aren't on Twitter last week to be able to see, but um, we'll be going through a little bit of maybe not rebranding so much as with uh, our host site, SB Nation, the rest of the Vox Media are looking at kind of relaunching their entire set of podcast networks. So it's not really that much change you'll see, at least overall, outside of the fact that we will be kind of doing a bit of rebranding over the next week or so, kind of coming back to you, not as the Bird Gang Blitz podcast, but coming back as the Revenge of the Birds podcast, which is, of course, our mother site and the home for our podcast and a lot of our content. And what that means for you as listeners is you'll be getting more of Johnny and I overall, at least, uh, moving forward as far as at least more content throughout the week. And we're really excited to bring it to you guys. And it's been a kind of a great blessing for everyone who's been out there supporting, listening, being able to go through. It's also been encouraging, at least to us throughout this season, when, to be fair, we have needed some encouragement this season, haven't we, Jen? Yeah, it's been a... It's been a difficult season, but the podcast itself is a great experience. Uh, and we do it for, for you, the fans. This is something that Blake and I choose to do in our free time to get quality content out there that's not, you know, you know, stick of the team website, just stuff that we're seeing as fans, uh, our perspective, and being as blunt and honest as possible. And uh, hopefully this gives us a larger platform to get that content out to, to you guys because it's you're the reason we continue to do this every week. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into this, John. We, we had last week, one of the maybe unsurprising moves. I know I had called and predicted that it could happen as early as after week three with the bears, but we did finally see it over the bye week after there was no trading, no action, no team obviously wanted the contract. But Sam Bradford's time with the Arizona Cardinals has ended. He was released. The whole process behind signing him from, you know, the news of him potentially having bone on bone uh, as far as no cartilage left for him not running the conditioning test, still passing the Cardinals physicals, barely practicing throughout the time at camp when he started just the awfulness of how it looked and then even evolving to wear out afterwards apparently he hadn't either been practicing for five weeks or so according to yeah i believe it's espn's chris mortensen maybe it's the individual practices maybe it was just a lack of practicing when media wasn't able to be there and see it but john i just have to say as we start off tonight like where does this kind of rank on as far as worst free agent signings it's going to be probably up there with the cardinals quarterbacks even despite a long list of failures at that position but what are we looking at right now with sam bradford as far as the legacy of this signing that you're thinking yeah it's up there uh, absolutely and the, the sad part is this was a signing i think that a lot of people in the media fans their perspective was it was going to be a poor signing that it didn't make a lot of sense because of the injury history with Sam Bradford, his immobility behind the, you know, the offensive line that was going to have question marks coming into this season. The fact that, you know, he played so well in one game last year and then essentially sat out the rest of the season with an undisclosed knee injury. And you had seen that injury continue to creep up each and every season and becoming less and less mobile. It just, it didn't make sense on a lot of fronts. I get you know, bringing him in, giving him a look, 
maybe allowing him to try to make this team through camp. But for whatever reason, they, Steve Kime, the front office, inexplicably gave Sam Bradford $15 million guaranteed with a, with a potential payout of upwards of $20 million uh, and a team option for 20, uh, 2019. And so, uh, and the, the hardest thing to wrap my head around is that they expected Sam Bradford to be their starter all season health permitting. They kind of viewed Sam Bradford as a, you know, de facto starting quarterback in the NFL, because I think they really thought Blake that based on where they were drafting at pick 15 in last year's draft, they weren't going to be able to get one of the top four or five prospects. You know, we know how much they liked Josh Allen. Rosen was clearly one of their top guys. Mayfield and Darnold, they just assumed would be gone. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I, I don't think they would have taken him. Uh, and so you think about the Kyle Lalettas in the world. I think they thought they were going to be in that market again. And so you could imagine how poor the team would be off if, if that were the case. Um, and so now you, you ought to move on from Sam Bradford at this point. You're not going to pay him out anymore. Rosen is clearly has, he's established himself, in my opinion, to be the leader of this team, this offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned it on, on Twitter this week. I think he's going to at the end of the year, we're going to look back. He's going to have the most impressive rookie season for any rookie quarterback this year. And then I think that the front office, specifically Steve Kime, has liked Mike Glennon for some time. And, and you've heard rumblings in past off seasons that mm-hmm. they wanted to bring him in. So you, you lump those two together. And hopefully Rosen, knock on wood, can stay healthy for the rest of this season with the liability up front on the offensive line. There just there was no reason to keep him around. And then, you know, reports leak out, like you mentioned, bone to bone, which, you know, I'd heard Bob McManaman mention that Arizona Republic reporter does a phenomenal job back in, in August on uh, Sirius XM basically saying the same thing. So they've known that forever and for whatever reason still thought he could play and play at a high level. His playing days in the NFL, I, I would be curious if he's not signed at this point for a team like uh, Buffalo, mm-hmm. maybe the Jets, a team that needs a starter or a backup or a, or a body at the quarterback position, maybe Miami, his career might be done. Uh, and it's not like he'd be hurting financially. He's made more money than any quarterback I can think of for, for the far less production that he's done. It just hasn't added up. He was, I think, the last of those baby boomers in terms of the draft where the first round picks got an obscene amount of money before the right. new CBA kicked in. So um, I would be surprised if he doesn't get picked up here in the next you know, week or so, you mentioned he wasn't claimed on waivers. I, I would assume that his career is probably done at this point, Blake. I think it's less about even with the idea of, you know, bringing in Sam Bradford, but I think it was how much money they actually paid for him that was a little bit surprising to a lot Agreed. of people. Where eventually you, you paid him fifteen, uh, like almost sixteen million dollars, and he played in three games. And so, even if you were looking at Sam Bradford potentially getting benched, and that was part of the the issue. I think was that they also overvalued how effective or how good he was going to be I think was there and some of it was you hadn't seen that yet but even still if you're expecting well he may get hurt for this season for that we're going to take it precaution if you're having that sort of precaution why are you then going to be paying him 16 million dollars if you're expecting that maybe he could get hurt no matter what in week three and that to me I think was part of the process behind that was a little bit surprising and I don't know if it was just the necessity the idea to run an offense how much of it was due to the one game he did with the Vikings last year or it was just the consistency of well we don't really look at Josh McCown as being a high level starter and I think it was the perception of Sam Bradford ended up being a lot better a lot bigger than what the actuality of, of Sam Bradford was. And some of that maybe I think you look at the Saints defense week one, that huge game 
you take a look at the Saints defense week one of this year, gave up 48 points to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And look at the year previously, they gave up a huge, huge game. on. I think it might just be perhaps at least that trend that continues of maybe it wasn't as much Sam Bradford so much as it was just a perception that we had after week one. And I think you remember a few years back also where the, the Niners, I believe, had a huge win over the Minnesota Vikings. And after that, they had one of the worst seasons that the Niners have had on record. So I think a lot of it was just the perception of what Cardinals fans were looking at and thinking totally off from where it was. And Sam Bradford, just to finish up with this, John, you look at his stats against the New Orleans Saints. It was a crazy game, 27 completions. He ended up throwing for 346 yards, three touchdowns, only took one sack. You look at the next game that he played when he came back against the, I believe it's the Chicago Bears in 2017. He went five of 11, completed half, less than half of his passes, only 36 yards, averaged 3.3 yards a completion. That looks like the Sam Bradford that we saw this year. And I think it just became clear that whether it was the knee, that was his plant leg apparently at the left knee affecting that he couldn't generate enough power that was getting a lot of the deep balls picked, whether it was the offensive line, a lack of trust, and just wanting to have a whole you know, semblance of checking it down versus taking hits or just Mike McCoy's offense trying to either adjust or adapt or being conservative or just a combination of all three. I don't know if there's a veteran free agent outside of maybe you look at the Adam Snyder or perhaps the team playing Levi Brown coming back as far as that, but there's not really been a free agent signing that's been like this. Even the Kevin Cobb trade, I'd argue, you got more value out of than you got Sam Bradford. Yeah, the Cobb trade to me, I mean, Cobb in, in the right kind of system, especially in today's NFL, I mean, he wasn't terrible. He just couldn't stay healthy. And the Cardinals arguably had a worse offensive line than they do now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cobb had a couple flash games where he was he was productive. Um, but, the, yeah, the Adam, Adam Snyder trade is, is one of the first that comes to mind. Uh, another one, Bryant McFadden. The Cardinals added him right after their Super Bowl season. They thought he could be the uh, number two shutdown corner with Dominic rogers Cromartie. Gave him a, a nice contract. He was awful. Uh, coincidentally, the cousin of Patrick Peterson, um, and they cut him after just one season. Snyder, to me, was the other one that stands out just because of the fact that, you know, you you watch that dominant San Francisco offensive line Mm -hmm. of, you know, 2010, 2011, and he was by far the weakest link, and they let him walk. And, uh, you know, Russ Grimm and Ken Wisenhut thought so much of him that was to convince Rod Graves to give him an obscene amount of money, and he was just a complete major liability. So Snyder and Bradford, to me, in my lifetime, are, are probably the two biggest. But I will give Steve Kime credit that he didn't make the the issue worse than it needed to be, right? He didn't keep him around. He didn't continue to, you know, allow Wilkes or McCoy or whomever to trot him out there. I mean, like clearly, like, Kime is very good, in my opinion, at, okay, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I will remedy them. I will move forward with, you know, Jonathan Cooper can't stay healthy. You're gone. You know what I mean? And so I I can appreciate that about Steve Kime, whereas other GMs, they make a mistake. They magnify the mistake by allowing such player to not only continue to underperform for your team, Mm -hmm. but keeping him on the roster and playing him at a specific position. Can you imagine, like, taking somebody like – let, let's say Ryan Tannehill for the Miami mm-hmm. Dolphins, or let's say, you know, Case Keenum for the Denver Broncos is probably a better example. Taking somebody like Case Keenum in free agency, who's clearly average, mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to think like, oh, I have Case Keenum now. I don't need Josh Rosen. I mean, like, 
Think about if Steve <laughs> like the Denver Kime Broncos were, actually did this year. Right, right. Think about if uh, Steve Kime and and the Dolphins to some extent did with Tannehill, where they didn't feel the need, sense of urgency to go up and secure a Josh Rosen. Um, and so, like to me, at least Kime is willing to admit, okay, like I have a problem. I'm going to remedy it. We're going to release him. We're going to move forward with Josh. I'm not going to make it worse than it actually is because I think more times than not, you'll see these GMs magnify a mistake by not only playing that individual who can't perform, but then passing on better talent. And so, um, you know, I think the Cardinals clearly are in a much better spot with Rosen. You know, everything will will look significantly better if you can head into the off season with Rosen healthy and having a productive end to his rookie season. And nobody will care about the Sam Bradford contract. Like it'll be a funny footnote, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not going to hamper his productivity you and I talked about it to the start of the season. I expected him to be the starting quarterback to begin the season. And I think you came off that and probably said sometime in September, which has ended up, I think what ended up happening, yeah. uh, if not right at October. And so as long as he gets in 10 to 12 starts, like that's enough. Whereas you can go into next season, add complimentary pieces, hopefully you know, beef up the offensive line to, to say to yourself, okay, now he's played enough. Because not everybody's Patrick Mahomes. Not everybody right. has Andy Reid and has that arsenal. Like, you need to play in this league. We need to know what we have. And so going into the next year, you can sell it to your fans. Like, okay, Rosen took his lumps last year. We can take that next step like Carson Wentz did, you know, like some of these other quarterbacks. If you played Sam Bradford all year just because of the price tag you gave, uh, you would you would be hampering this organization even further. So I, I will give Kime credit for that. It's like, not working out, goodbye. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest areas, at least when you're talking about with um, looking at the team, evaluating with mistakes. And because, I mean, outside of, I think yeah, the only other name that was brought up as far as familiar was Dwayne Starks, which was a five-year, $23 million deal cut after 18 games. There's not really anything that you can talk about outside of three games for $15 and $9 million as far as for just the lag. And the good news, at least with that, is it's not like they signed – him to a major like five-year deal. It's not like they went and signed him to even like a truly a two-year deal. They looked at it as a stopgap. It was looked at as potentially being able to say, hey, we can have him around here next year. We saw the benefit once they did get Rosen of being able to have the veteran around. And I don't even think that Josh Rosen really needed a veteran so much. I think that you're you're right in just that the Cardinals had they tried to wanted to win now a little bit and it's it's kind of backfired on them a lot for that. Um Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the fact that there's a lot of people who are seem to be asking about with as far as Cardinals fans are looking at. Okay, the Cardinals got off to a two and six start. Only two teams have beaten were the San Francisco 49ers two times. We watched the Niners play last week with Nick Mullins. Perhaps if he started just a little bit earlier, the Cardinals would still be tied with the Giants and the Raiders as a one win team because that was a pretty explosive debut but i've seen some fan sentiments been saying is kind of all right once brett when mccoy has been fired sam bradford's been released it's kind of two downs the question is there's two down are there any more to go is it looking then at with a player like wilkes is looking at perhaps benching other players are going to be coming in i know robert condici at least seems to be kind of spending time on the benches on the injury report this week at least for that one where it comes to with wilkes and kind for that one where are we still at as far as with their job security especially as we're facing the rest of the season and especially facing the Kansas City team that uh, being honest is averaging about 36 or so points a game the Cardinals are probably not very likely to see 36 points a game at some point this season even against a terrible defense such as Kansas City like where are we going to make at least so far as far as them isolating and finding and cutting mistakes is this going to be an area where Kyle will 
kind of prove that he's not going to be that guy who doubles down on mistakes? Or is this going to be kind of an area of maybe the beginning of the end and some of these mistakes perhaps costing bigger jobs and bigger fish? Well, I think that we saw a little bit about what Steve Wilkes thinks about, you know, the personnel on his team and adapting potentially and adding Dale Buchanan uh, to that victory and to that, you know, starting defense against San Francisco. I think we're going to see more of that. I think, you know, you're going to have to throw everything at, you know, at these next, you know, eight some games in the second half of the season because your job may depend on it. You don't want to go down thinking I need to play six defensive backs because that's the way I do things. Like utilize the personnel that you have. If you're Steve Wilkes, like clearly like Robert being consistently injured, underperforming, like that's the problem that Steve Wilkes can't help that. That was a problem under Bruce Arians. But in the case of Deon Buchanan and Hassan Reddick, like those are your two most talented linebackers. I don't care if they don't fit your scheme, like play them and see what happens good things may happen. Again, he played well. I think Dale Buchanan is a good player when healthy. I think he was hurt and came into the season out of shape and and not ready to go. We're talking about two months later. I mean, he's going to look better. And so I think he could be an asset down the line. And if you're Steve Kime, listen, I I was surprised that they did not make any trades at the deadline. Mm -hmm. I thought they'd look to add maybe a piece on offense to help Josh Rosen, whether it be on the offensive line or receiver. But at the same time, it also told me that, okay, like they're not just going to give Dayon Buchanan away. Like we thought maybe two or three weeks ago, like clearly he's in their plans in the second half, because like you mentioned, Blake, like there's a sense of urgency, not necessarily to win. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I still think, and they could finish two and 14. I think both could keep their jobs if they play competitive football. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have duplications of, you know, second comings of the Denver game on Thursday night. Like that can't happen again, right? Like that was the breaking point for this team. You know, I'm under the impression, I I think they're going to play more competitively than people think over the second half. I'm not going to say they're going to win three or four games. I just think that, for instance, this Sunday, I think they're going to play competitively because they've had an extra week to prepare, really an extra week and a half. Uh, I think that you know, the defense will continue to make strides. They're not going to be a top five, top 10 defense mm-hmm. potentially. But I think that, you know, the more time they spend in Wilkes' scheme, I think the better the off they'll be. And then offensively, like you've had, you've had nowhere to go but up because of, you know, the foolery that you've done with, with adding Mike McCoy and then now removing him and Byron Leftwich. And you saw even in the, in the small glimpses of Leftwich's offense against San Francisco, there were positives. And if you can build on those, like we talked about two weeks ago, you know, adding in 300 yards passing for Rosen or, mm-hmm. you know, 200 all from scrimmage the for David Johnson. Time. So I, I just, I think that they can both, I think they'll both keep their jobs as long as things don't get embarrassing in the second half. But with that being said, the schedule's brutal. Mm-hmm. If they go up to Lambeau and get lambasted 50 to seven or something like that, like you can't be losing games like that. But like, if you're losing games, like, let's say like Tampa's losing games right now where like they're Tampa Bay is like one of the best watches in the NFL. They're not a great team. Mm-hmm. They score a lot of points. They've got some elite playmakers and they're just a fun watch. If the Cardinals be somehow become a fun watch over mm-hmm. the second half, that can get people's, that can get excitement going in, in the, in the Valley and nationally for this team, no matter because everybody's written this team off. And so you can, you can have some mojo and some juice going into next year by, you know, putting up 30 points in a loss. Um, and so I, you know, I'm optimistic that they will be competitive, but I think if they're not, that's when, 
you know, we could see heads roll at the end of the year. Yeah, with the schedule being tough, you really are looking, and this is kind of what's interesting about with Kyman Wilkes, is you're really looking for offensive output, and then you're hoping that the defense is able to slow down some of these offenses, but the way the NFL is, it's it's going to be hard. So you're really going to have to look for, hey, can you be, maybe if you're coming into Kansas City as a two-touchdown underdog, can you cover is the question. Are you coming in, are they able to cover each week or be able to make it where, you know, it's the fourth quarter entering, hey, they've got a shot for that one, or maybe at least they can come and upset one of these teams. And I don't know if it's going to come down to a specific, record per se like oh if you don't have at least five wins they're gone I think it's going to like you said come down to the play but the wins do honestly matter for that one. I think we'll talk about that in a bit we got a quick break here on the podcast we're coming right back over here we're going to talk a little bit about some of the news around the league including uh involving the Cleveland Browns and the Arizona Cardinals could a certain Arizona Cardinals head coach be heading on his way to Cleveland and could a certain Cleveland candidate for head coach be back on his way to arizona we'll talk about that next year on the bird gang blitz podcast all right welcome back to the bird gang blitz podcast john we've had a lot happen over the last couple of weeks hugh jackson was let go as the head coach in cleveland and in a bit of a surprise move so was todd haley who is the former arizona cardinals offensive coordinator best known for that 2008 Super Bowl run and a lot of development for Larry Fitzgerald. He kind of had expected, even had told people he'd expected to be the head coach after Hugh Jackson inevitably met his end since that seemed to be unfortunately the case in Cleveland, but he was also let go. He's out there as a free agent. Is this an area where you look at him with the controversy, the fights on the sideline, whether it was with Warner or whether it was being, I think, the Anquan Bolden standoff to, uh, I think it was even a bar fight with a broken hip a few months back in some other areas, a time where he spent in Kansas City making a playoff team with Matt Castle and then basically landing a, a close to, a, I would say at least the team that, the year afterwards, let Goom go and ended up getting the number one pick in the 2013 draft. So there's been just a huge change in turmoil. Is this an area or a marriage that the Cardinals should kind of reconsider getting back together with an ex moving forward for Rosen's development and the rest of the offense? Or should they kind of let bygones be bygones here? Well, I said before the season, I would have interviewed Haley for the OC job right away if I was Steve Wilkes. But I think that the Browns had already snatched Todd Haley um, to be their offensive coordinator. And then also there was the incident with Haley at a bar, a fan got in his face, ended up being much to do about nothing, but it became national news for the, for the wrong reason. And it, according to, to, you know, media outlets, Haley and his wife like to go out, you know, that just, they they like to go out and have, have a couple cocktails There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes that, that can lead to, you know, bad things happening. But from a football standpoint, like I've always been a huge Todd Haley supporter, uh, you know this, Blake. I think that he would have helped this team from the start. They'd be much more productive if he was running their offense instead of Mike McCoy. And um, you know, I would I would bring him back in some capacity. But where it gets tricky now is, okay, like I, I think the only way you're going to bring him back is if Steve Wilkes is still your head coach, right? Well, if Steve Wilkes is still your head coach, like where's Byron Leftwich going? You get a fire Brian viral left which now no of course not mm-hmm. so the only scenario i could see is, is todd haley going to come and be you know a, a quarterback coach he might he might come and do that like and I, I i think that you know haley and i could see haley and left having mutual respect for each other because you know arians and the pittsburgh connections like it all kind of ties in together in some right. uh way shape or form but at the same time like the time to bring Haley, the time would have been to bring haley in 
at the start of this season because my biggest concern with bringing in Wilkes was that if you're going to hire a defensive coach and you hire and you get a great offensive mind to coach Rosen, eventually that if you have success, like you hope that OC is leaving. I, I thought there was never another way that Todd Haley was going to leave mm. and somebody was going to give him another head coaching job because of the job he did in Pittsburgh. You know, I know Pittsburgh's lighting the world on fire without him, but if he couldn't parlay a, a head coaching job from what he had done in Pittsburgh, it just wasn't going to happen. And I looked at him kind of as the Wade Phillips of offensive coordinators. I thought he would have been great. Now it's really at a point where you've lost that opportunity. So if you can bring him in as a consultant or a quarterback coach, I think he'd be great. Um, and I, I know that Michael Bidwell and still has a lot of respect for Todd and the work he was able to do here with Kurt Warner. Um, but I just I don't see the, the, the pieces fitting right now because either you're going to go with Steve Wilkes and Byron Leftwich next year or – you're going to go with a new head coach who I guarantee you, if you're firing Wilkes is going to be an offensive guy and is going to call plays and is going to bring his own scheme. And he's not going to want Todd Haley. So that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think some of it was also with the entire way the Cardinals shaped the roster. Like you said, and uh, the coaching staff, I should say is you shaped Wilkes as being a first time head coach, being a defensive minded guy. They didn't want to just hand the job to Byron Leftwich. I think that they liked Byron Leftwich, and once they were able to effectively bring him back, I think that was kind of sealed the deal in some of the different ways, or they didn't want to let him leave. And they were able to get Mike McCoy in to kind of be that, you know, he's done it before as a head coach for five years. Previously, he was an experienced offensive coordinator, just to really give Wilkes that helping hand and insight. And it just ended up flopping completely, whether it was due to personalities, whether it was due to just McCoy being stubborn whether it was just McCoy selling himself as being adaptive and then having the opposite be true where he wasn't adapting I think that you really looked at the fact that they had left which kind of was in the way be a way of blocking them bringing Haley back potentially uh, I think Haley also was in the hunt for a head coach job Cardinals just hired a head coach Browns just fired their head coach so I think that definitely is a huge reason why Personally, I would be fine with them not bringing them back just because I think either you, you're right, you either have enough confidence in Leftwich and you can gain that over time, or you know you'll be moving on to a different mind to shape Rosen. And as a result, I think I wish the best for Todd. I don't know if he would take a quarterback coaching job. I think you would want to probably bring in some of the staff that the new coach is familiar with because, as we know with Todd, he can be a very abrasive, very uh, – not maybe not political. I think that was more around the Hugh Jackson trying to position himself for that head coaching job that ultimately went to Greg Williams. But I personally, I would at least say that it may be one of those areas that would work. I'd much rather give a guy who would be able to work with and be able to develop and be underneath the new head coach, whoever they are, that would be a supportive kind of comforting influence rather than one that potentially would push back, maybe be pushing back to make them better, but just kind of easing things a little bit, especially after such a rough year. Speaking of the Browns, we also had some interesting comments from former head coach Bruce Arians, who on the radio in a lot of ways to really stump for Chuck Pagano, one of his guys for a new head coaching job. He's always been very supportive of Chuck, of Byron, of a lot of the guys that he's interacted with over the years, Todd Bowles being another one. But he also kind of brought up an interesting kind of possibility of, hey, if there was a team that I would come back for and coach, it would be the Browns. And we had a, a lot of the Cardinals fans, like the, the Bruce Arians, I think the, the gif of him turning, huh, what? Turning his head in the Panthers game. That was the reaction of most Cardinals fans. So, John, how much of this are we going to say is just Arians, you know, talking up a bit of a storm? How much of it is maybe recognizing that the Browns have something at heart? Maybe there's still a bit of the coach that's in him. If he could bring back his staff his way, he wasn't going to get that in Arizona. 
what are we to make of this? Because the first time when it came out, it, it took me a little bit to kind of wrap my mind around that about what Bruce could possibly be meaning about coming back at 66 years of age. Yeah, I think I, I don't buy it. Honestly, I, I think it's I think it's just Bruce being Bruce. I think Bruce wants to continue being around the game in, in some way, shape or form. But I don't think that it's going to be coaching again. I mean, his wife was ecstatic that he was eventually going to hang it up and did this past off season. And to go into an environment with the dysfunctional Cleveland Browns, with Jimmy Haslam, who goes through coaches like a, a hot knife through butter, who John Dorsey, who couldn't get a, John Dorsey couldn't get along with Andy Reid. I mean, think about that. I think I, I know John Dorsey, great mind for personnel, did a great job in, in Kansas City mm-hmm. with the players that he picked, and I think he's off to a good start with the Browns. But like, he can't. I mean, like they just fired their head coach midseason. They just fired their offensive coordinator midseason, yeah. and they have a rookie quarterback. Like that's dysfunction city. Could I see Bruce Arians coming back as a head coach in this league? I put like a twenty percent chance on it, and I think it would be have to be in a scenario where that team was ready to win. Now the yeah. Browns, the Browns are probably a three to five. You know, you have to change the culture, mm-hmm. and I think Arians could do that. You know, even at 66, 67, but they're not Super Bowl ready. I think the only scenario I could see with Arians coming back is like, let's say Mike McCarthy gets fired and that that Packer team is ready to win now with Aaron Rodgers, 35. They make a couple upgrades in free agency like that's a team that could win the Super Bowl. It, it have to be like a unique scenario like that where Arians could come in with a veteran quarterback and say, let's go. I, 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 I know Baker would be in his second year, but again, I don't, I don't think Arians would want to coach yet another young quarterback. He likes veterans. I mean, clearly all we heard during his time in Arizona was get me players to help me win a Super Bowl. Now I'm fine with Carson Palmer. Yeah. Don't draft a rookie quarterback, you know? And I think he, he's probably playing up to the fact that he had a, he had a great experience, I think in Cleveland when he was there clearly. Oh yeah. And so he's, probably one of the few guys. Right. Uh, but I, I, I just, I don't, th- I think he was more trying to talk up Chuck Pagano in the sense that, Hey, Chuck should be considered for a position. If, if, if one becomes available, whether on the defensive side or maybe even as head coach, um, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a likelihood. I think Bruce, look, he's, I think he, he's doing the Cardinal game this week and I've heard him do games. Mm-hmm. I think that he's got a future in broadcasting continually if he, if he wants it. Mm-hmm. But again, like, he just turned 66 years old. Yeah. I, the biggest, you know, criticism I had of the hire um, six years ago was he was 60 years old. And I'm oh, like, yeah. well, how many years are we getting? And it turns out we got, you know, five great years. Yeah. And so coming that, back at 66, you're like, that was well, it. How much time, if you came back with Baker Mayfield, how many, you'd get what, maybe two, three years, potentially. You saw all the yeah. health areas and concerns. It's, it's just an area where you, as a Cardinals fan, you might feel offended of like, well, if you'd come back and coach, you just didn't want to play for the Cardinals. Maybe it's more of just a little bit. I don't of, buy that. Maybe it's just a little bit of Bruce basically saying, and it's also looking at, you know, the, right now the Browns are almost the Cardinals West in a lot of ways. You've got his former quarterback at Alabama and a guy who was with the Cardinals for years is now the offensive coordinator in Freddie Kitchens. His special teams coach, Amos Jones is there. There. Uh, I, of course, he's talking up Chuck Pagano to be able to say, hey, maybe if, you know, Chuck took over, at least for that one, and Chuck was like, hey, Bruce, we really want you to try to bring you in, turn the culture around. We'll be able to have all of the kind of put, putting the band back together, as it were, in a lot of different ways. That would be the one area where I'm like, OK, maybe he would be considering that. But ultimately, as I think Ken Summer said, his wife doesn't want him to return. She even didn't want him to go and take the Colts job in 2012, yep. you know, getting the head coaching opportunity in Arizona. I, I think that that was a huge aspect. And like we saw, I mean, 
very possible Bruce could end up having a quick rise after everyone's compliments of how well he's been calling games this season. Maybe next year we end up seeing him like a little bit less having to work the Sundays more. Maybe he takes over the Monday night role, which Jason Witten has not been impressive, despite the fact that it seems like there's got to be a Cowboys commentator in every single booth. Him taking over the Gruden role with a lot of that knowledge would be uh, fascinating, I think, personally. Well, um, I think if I could, Blake, another point mm-hmm. that I think needs to be made is that the fact that, you know, Cardinal Brass you know, pushed him away or like he was a God in the desert. Like he had everybody's respect. Michael Bidwell loved him. We know his relationship was with Steve Kime is rock solid. He, you could even argue to a point he had too much say in, in some of the draft picks that the Cardinals had or opting not to go with a quarterback mm-hmm. um, in, in certain drafts. So like Arians left the, the Cardinals with as much power as you can have as a head coach. And so it was his decision a hundred percent. And I, Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell were going to let Bruce coach as long as he wanted to. And so all that, all that garbage you hear about, well, that, you know, they didn't get along. Like who's saying that that's not legitimate at all. Yeah, especially I think the, the one area I will say is perhaps if he had said he was going to come back in 2018, I think the conditions that would have been in place for him to come back would have been, hey, this is a team that needs to be working on retooling. I don't think they would have pursued, obviously, the Sam Bradford I don't, as far as about the Stanton. Maybe you end up looking at them kind of rolling into it saying, hey, we're going to be having to you know, take a look at a different uh, special teams coach, at least for that one. Maybe you don't see James Betcher's defense come back as much considering how they struggled and coming back strong at the year maybe made a case for that one but it did feel like it was a storybook ending where it was almost like Arians didn't want to really complicate his legacy by coming back another season similar to how when you look at some of the other coaches who hold on for a little bit too long or quarterbacks who hang on for a little bit too long such as Eli Manning this year I think that was part of where it just made a whole lot of sense for everyone to move on to get that fresh type of start Let's look a little bit more around the league, at least then, before we kind of get into the Chiefs game and just look at some of the other rookie quarterbacks. I mean, outside of the offensive explosion that's still been happening, you've got Sam Darnold is out currently versus for the Jets. I believe Josh Allen is, I think he's supposed to at least be looking to potentially make his return. He's been out for a little while with an elbow injury. We'll be playing the Jets this week. You look at how it's been going with the rookie quarterbacks, and everyone really has just been struggling. Baker Mayfield's probably been the best so far. I think you may be able to make an argument that if you switch the teams between Arizona and Cleveland as far as with Rosen and Mayfield, maybe there would be a little bit more of an advantage to Cleveland considering their defense played much better. Both have had wide receiver drops. Uh, Arizona's only had one game with a decent offensive quarter, just like how Cleveland's only had one game you're kind of in all these rebuilding situations. It's very different from a Chiefs team that they'll be playing that really drafted a quarterback, were able to sit him for a whole year because they were a good team and now is able to unleash with maybe one of the best offenses that we've ever seen in the NFL. So talk a little bit about that with what we can expect, at least from this quarterback class, anything else that you've been seeing? Because a lot of people are starting to have a lot of major concerns about Sam Darnold after the Jets-Dolphins game with all the turnovers that have been happening versus seeing Rosen really bounce back strong after the, after the Broncos debacle. Yeah, I think that we get caught up, we as, you know, media or draft Twitter or whatever in classes and expectations. And I mean, like this past year was supposed to be the premier year to get a quarterback, not two years ago. And it looks like two years ago, those guys have all, and I'll include Trubisky because he's having a nice year with Matt Nagy. Those guys have all exploded. Deshaun Watson continues to impress in year two, bouncing back from the ACL. Mahomes is the MVP of the league. And then 
Trubisky, I think is, I think he's going to throw for like 34 touchdowns this year. I mean, that's, that's legitimate even in today's NFL. Then you look at this rookie class, right? That had, in my opinion, two blue chip prospects. Mm-hmm. Donald was my top quarterback, but I had Rosen just slightly below him. I thought they should have gone one, two in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't as high on Baker Mayfield like, like you and some other people were. I definitely thought he, he deserved to go in the top 10. I just liked those two quarterbacks more, but I thought, okay, yeah, someplace like Arizona, warm weather, I think he would have would have done well. I don't love him in Cleveland because of the climate there, and I think we'll start to see potentially that that affecting him long term. It's hard to play at Hines Field oh, yeah. in, in November, December. It's hard to play in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Josh Allen to me was always a long term project. And same with Lamar Jackson, but I thought Jackson had had a better chance to succeed sooner because of his athletic ability. You know, Allen, you've already seen it. He's trying to make plays with his feet because he's yeah. so inaccurate he's, and he's hurt already. And isn't that ironic that Rosen, who was labeled as injury prone, is one of the few that's not injured at this point because what does he do? He stands in the pocket and he delivers darts. He and Darnold, to me, are in the worst position based on their offensive lines. Uh, I, you can argue Buffalo, but at the same time, like that Buffalo team just went to the playoffs last year. Yes, they traded their left tackle, but I'd probably still take their offensive line over the Arizona's. Um, Darnold to me, listen, he's got 11 touchdowns, 14 picks. He's on pace to throw about 15, or excuse me. He's on pace to throw about 20 and and 28 interceptions, 20 TDs, 28 interceptions, uh, at the midway point. He's going to miss this weekend's game with an injury. That team to me is looking for upgrades in any position offensively. Mm -hmm. So as, as, as much as we lambash the the fact that Rosen has no help on the offensive line and outside of Larry Fitzgerald, you know, and Christian Kirk, there's not a lot of reliable you know, offensive talent, David Johnson included. Um, Donald is working with next to nothing. And he is also a, a, a much more raw prospect than, than Josh Rosen. Rosen was the most pro-ready, right? Donald is 21 years old. And um, a lot of people thought could have used another year uh, at USC based on the amount of the turnovers that he had uh, as a Trojan. I still like him a lot. I think he's going to be great. And I think that because of the easy transition that we've seen in special scenarios, like with, you know, Houston, who's loaded the skilled player position and, you know, Mahomes who got to sit with Alex Smith and Andy Reid for a whole year and has an arsenal of weapons, uh, Nagy elevating Trubisky. Like we just expect these rookies to be awesome right away. And that's, that's just not how the NFL works. I think that more times than not, they're going to struggle as rookies because teams that are picking in the top 10 are not very good. Like their rosters aren't great. And so more than likely you're going to be thrust into that position because you were a high pick. The roster can't support you. And so like, that's why we see a lot of these second and third tier quarterbacks having success like Dak Prescott early on because the roster is pretty good and you can go in the fourth round and the rest of the roster is loaded and you get it. You inherit it like a playoff roster like Kaepernick did. But in the, in the scenarios like Donald and Rosen and Mayfield, like these guys are going to struggle early on because either the coaching's not there and, in Rosen and Baker's case, or just the talent in general in, in Darnold's case. So I think those three I just named will all be Rosen, Darnold, and Mayfield will all be longtime NFL success stories. I'm not ready to say that about Jackson because I haven't seen enough. And Allen, to me, just that, that situation is, is doomed to fail, unfortunately, just because I don't love him as a prospect. But I think this time next year we'll be talking about the big three in this class all 
having really nice bounce back seasons. And again, I'll, I'll go on record. Rosen's going to be the best of the three of them by the end of the season, because I think he's going to have a really nice second half for the Cardinals. Yeah. And so far from what I've seen, I would honestly, as like, it's part of me wants to look at it through the homer angle, but the other part of it looks at just some of the natural aspects as far as what, not just the pocket presence, but where Mayfield's at as far as for the consistency under fire and under pressure. A lot of times with Mayfield, the two biggest concerns we had coming out of college when he played difficult competitors, you'd see, you know, he would try to avoid throwing interceptions. He wouldn't test tight window throws as much, even despite he, the fact he had a great arm. Uh, Allen, to me, was a bit of a, not surprise, but more of a surprise of how, you know, as we talked about the cost going up to get him, the fact that he had his collarbone broke, broken, I believe, in several places and had metal screws that had to be put in and then missing a lot of time. It was not a surprise to me to see that he'd been hurt already in his career. I think that's going to be one of the biggest areas. And that's what I'll be watching for, especially for the rest of this year is uh, how the offense is going to be adjusted. We did see at least again from Byron Leftwich, a much quicker paced offense. We saw a lot more max protect. We saw a lot more of them basically doing their best to compensate for the line, make the ball come out of Rosen's hands quickly. I think they kind of understand that in order to be successful, he has to be able to develop, to be able to recognize that, hey, he has to be on the field to actually make it happen. That's one of the things I'm at least looking forward to with Leftwich is seeing after another week, having a whole bye week to be able to put in an extra set of plays, what exactly it'll look like. Uh, the offense, it could be just another step forward similar to last week. It could end up being where it looks very different. My hope is that they would come out and do maybe a little bit quicker pace, maybe come out with a bit of no huddle, knowing the Chiefs are going to score fast on your defense anyway. You could either focus on long drives to be able to get down the field or say this is a bad Kansas City defense. Let's see if we can get some quick strike offense going, get our offense and quarterback into rhythm early and see if we can't catch him in a shooter. That, to me, would be the best-case scenario. Don't know if that's going to be the case, but we'll be able to talk about that next here on the Bird Game Blitz. Preview the Chiefs game. What do we need to see from the Cardinals on the road in a difficult environment against the best offense in the NFL? What do we need to see from Rosen and Leftwich? And one Larry Fitzgerald is 33 yards away from history. That's all going to be coming up next on the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. And we're back on the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. So, John, let's talk a bit about the Chiefs game because a lot of people have connected the Cardinals in 2017. We even talked about this, about why they needed to take a quarterback in a Patrick Mahomes. I even had many discussions with people on Twitter on some people did not believe that Mahomes was worth a pick at 13. They wanted the Cardinals to either trade back and take him or trade up from the second round for him. Now you can see the benefit of not just the player, but more also even the, the fit in the scheme of an Andy Reid essentially running a Texas Tech-style offense. The Cardinals having an elite running back in Kareem Hunt going up against a poorly ranked Cardinals team probably Red Cardinals defense, I should say, that has been awful against the run and it's been decent against the pass. Is this a game where the Cardinals can make some adjustments, potentially without Buda Baker, who's been apparently dealing with an injury, without Robert Kimdichie? Is this a Cardinals team that is going to be able to have a shot? Or if we are looking at the team not having a shot, is that 16.5 giving them too little credit as far as the spread goes? John, what are your, some of your thoughts as the Cardinals go into one of the exciting games to listen to Bruce Arians and Trent Green call the game? But perhaps it's just going to be exciting for, for Chiefs fans <laughs> more than it might be for Cardinals fans, at least outside of Josh Rosen. Yeah, well, I, uh, quickly, I want to touch on the, the draft process. When Mahomes was coming out, he was one of my favorite prospects 
of the last decade. Oh, yeah. uh, no matter the position, I wanted the Cardinals to draft him badly. I'm on the record of saying that. I thought he would have been a perfect fit behind Palmer for, for one year. Uh, I think it was a huge mistake, obviously, not going up and sacrificing what would have been a third-round pick for him. And, um, you know, don't buy into the shtick that the local media is trying to sell you. There was a, uh, I'm not going to name the podcast, a well-known podcast in the Phoenix area before the draft. This is like a week before the draft, basically saying Mahomes at 13, they won't do it. That's too high for Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I would much rather have him take a flyer on somebody like Nathan Peterman in, in round two. I mean, those are the kind of conversations that were being had by, by media in the Valley. So like that, that's just the, you hear that kind of stuff and it just sticks with you, right? Because Peterman statistically is one of the worst quarterbacks ever in the NFL and Mahomes is potentially going to win the MVP in his second season. Now, do I think Mahomes would have this kind of success in Arizona? I don't know. Not to this extent. I mean, the Cardinals don't have Andy Reid. They don't have Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey or their offensive line or Kareem Hunt. But I think he would be, you know, he might have been enough to get Bruce Arians to coach one more year. But, you know. Or build around. I think that's the biggest thing is if you had drafted Patrick Mahomes a year previously, you had a quarterback, you'd be like, well, we need to go and get an offensive mind to bring it in. Perhaps that would be the kind of DeFilippo type hire. Instead, you don't have a quarterback. You don't know if you're going to get one. You say, all right, well, we're going to play to the strength of our team. We're going to try to win with defense. And that was the counter argument we had for that. I know with you and I before the draft, we had DeFilippo, I believe, as our number one guy of looking at, you know, you want to get that rookie quarterback, do what it takes, whether it's trade up or finding a way to get that guy and then develop him put that yeah. strength make sure you him. get him yeah, yeah. And make sure you get him and fortunately for the cardinals they have him. i can't imagine if we'd be going into this game i mean we haven't even talked about how the 2019 quarterback class some people aren't even are even wondering if there is a round one quarterback that's worth taking outside of you know drew lock has still showcased a lot of struggles herbert seems to have a lot of upside but there's still some concern at least over there and he may stay another year so the cardinals at least ended up being in a fortunate position you're not having to look at a, a team that's potentially on a four or five year slide such as like the giants or the raiders are potentially facing as far as a long uphill climb for a rebuild but Cardinals, uh, Ken Summers even said, and there was some discussion, some fans have said the Cardinals didn't have a, they didn't have a shot at Mahomes, another team traded up ahead of them. If that were the case, then there was still enough wind or enough talk and enough people who have at least talked to me and like, yeah, no, there was an opportunity at least to move up for Patrick Mahomes. They didn't take advantage of it. There's similar aspects of teams like the Miami Dolphins this year of perhaps there was opportunity to move up for a Josh Rosen, decided to stay put, stay content, and ultimately the Cardinals, I think, are benefiting from it, and the Chiefs obviously are benefiting from it, and clearly the Texans are benefiting from it, especially those two teams who decided to move up in 2017 ahead of Arizona. Yeah. That's, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Here's the thing, and it's Mahomes and, and Watson are terrific. But again, if Rosen pans out, like nobody's going to remember that. If he doesn't, then we're going to be talking about it for the next 10 to 15 years. <laughs> if, if I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Rosen has nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, was not in the same draft class. But if he pans out and wins for the Cardinals, is their best, you know, self, you know, uh, made quarterback, you know, self-developed quarterback, not a, a rental or cast off from another team, a quarterback that they've drafted and developed. If he's that first kind of diamond for this franchise, it's not going to matter. But if he flames out, if he's just okay, mm-hmm. if he has even, I would even say if he has a Matthew Stafford kind of career and, you know, mm-hmm. wins a couple, you know, wild card bursts, but like if Mahomes is winning MVPs, if he's winning Super Bowls, like, 
that's going to be tough for this franchise to swallow. But I, good news is, is I, ha- I liked Rosen as a quarterback prospect more than Mahomes just mm-hmm. c- this year. I, I thought coming into, into this uh, draft last year that Rosen would have been in contention for the first overall pick. Like I was that high on him outside of the injury concerns. And I think he is a supreme pocket passer. Mahomes is great. He's got all the tools that you want. He's mobile. Mm-hmm. He's physical. He's got the arm. Uh, and he's got Andy Reid. Like, the Cardinals, that's the X factor to me. Like, the Cardinals don't have Andy Reid. So even if Mahomes was here, I think he'd still be good. But, like, how how good? Coaching matters, clearly. Like, look at Trubisky last year. He's got Matt Nagy this year. Look at Golf, his rookie year. Like, I don't think people – that last game in 2016 with the Rams – the Cardinals went to the Coliseum and played the Rams. The Rams were on their interim coach. They'd fired yeah. Jeff Fisher. Goff looked awful his rookie season. That game against the Rams, that looked like a high school team. Goff looked, yeah. didn't look like he could play the position in the NFL. Then he gets the right head coach, and now he's, you know, an all-pro. You know, and Patrick Mahomes is great, but take away Andy Reid, put him in this group with no offensive line, no running game. Like, how good would he actually be? And that's why I think we're all so excited about Josh Rosen because he's shown the ability to elevate people in this in this office. He's shown the ability to to rise above certain adversities the Cardinals are facing, make elite elite throws from the pocket, and um, and you would think, okay, if, if we beep up certain areas, like he could be really good. Get him the right kind of coaching, he could be really good. So I always I try to temper my expectations with Mahomes just because I'm like, yeah, but the Cardinals don't have what the Chiefs have. You know, and, and with Watson, like, we don't have Hopkins. You know what I mean? And Bill O'Brien's probably a better offensive mind than anybody the Cardinals have. So, you know, it just it goes to show you, like, things happen, you know, when they're supposed to work out for you, and, and it just didn't work out with Mahomes. And for whatever reason, the Cardinals didn't feel a sense of urgency to go up and get him. Yeah. And it's also reflecting just when you're talking about with Andy Reid and everything that comes in with that. I think it also reflects on elite coaching is kind of what leads to consistency in the NFL, just as much as a franchise quarterback does when you're talking about with how Jeff Fisher, the consistency they had, of course, was seven and nine every season. <laughs> Former Rams players have even joked about that one. And, you know, the Cardinals even wanted to have a shot at Andy Reid in the past. I think it's fascinating that he went right away to Kansas City. They end up going and making a move for Alex Smith, whereas Cardinals really, in a lot of essences, still want to kind of read to make the reclamation project of Kevin Cobb to make that functional. And Reed wanted to kind of go and bring in a veteran quarterback to win now, win quick. Didn't work as well as they'd hoped. And now you're looking at a, a team that's kind of ramping up and hoping for a chance at a Super Bowl. And I, I don't know if they're going to get there considering how good the defenses are seeming to be, at least with the Patriots hey, and the Chargers. Not to interrupt you, isn't it ironic, though, the Cardinals right. have actually made it farther in the playoffs than the Chiefs <laughs> have since My gosh. Has been there. The Chiefs haven't won a playoff game. I know. That's one of the craziest things. Isn't that the most insane thing? I just even think of that comeback where I think it was the Colts and Andrew Luck had this incredible, I think it was like some 20-something point comeback to win the game where you just were like, what what in the world happened? At least the Chiefs were dominating and uh, it's just it's it's crazy to think about at least with everything they just they seem to have melted down whether that's the thing that's tied to Reed whether it's tied to the quarterback and it'll be something to watch but I think at this game for the Cardinals the biggest thing going against them is the fact that the Chiefs are going to be trying to get the home field advantage because they don't want to be playing in Heinz Field they don't want to be playing in uh, New England come 
come the playoff time. And I think that's going to be the biggest area as far as with motivation. But it, it is interesting with team building. And like you said, the one thing that all those teams that have had these kind of quarterback explosions have in common is that they did end up going out and getting an offensive head coach. And I don't know if that's an indictment on Steve Wilkes. I think it's more of an area of you still have to have good quality coaching and being able to have that freedom. And perhaps that's a mentality change we need to look for. So what I'm going to look for in this game is looking at the Cardinals defense of being able to win the game by having the offense go on long stretches, being able to pick up first downs, kind of keeping the chiefs off the field or being able to quick strike, just kind of figuring out what is the identity of your offense? Is it going to be, Hey, we're going to go ahead and just get these chunk plays down the field hit with timing internet and accurate throws, or are they going to be more of the big strike offense trying to involve Christian Kirk, trying to free David Johns from big games, just pick an identity that you have, be able to make use of space against a bad chiefs, defense and give the Rosen the opportunity to maybe, you know, have that 300 yard, potentially a three touchdown game. Like you had talked about, I don't know how many more of those opportunities he may get outside of garbage time. Um, and take a look at the defensive side. I think you're going to have to look for adaptation. You've got Buda Baker potentially being in question for the game. You've got, after last week, having three linebackers back in. I would totally want to see Steve Wilkes embrace being able to kind of say, all right, we're going to go ahead and change things up. We're going to run the 4-3 defense. We're going to be much more traditional as far as with our linebackers. We're going to find the best way to cover Travis Kelsey. We're going to put Patrick Peterson shadowing Tyreek Hill, try to take him out of the game. Uh, Sammy Watkins is battling with a foot injury, so Perhaps you'll see a Chris Connolly you may be able to manage. Ben Wickery's been having a good season this year. And maybe they dial it a little bit up where Mahomes is able to extend plays outside of the pocket so well, use that arm strength, being able to improvise a bit. There's so much that he's been able to do because of the good coaching and knowing the system under a year. That To me, it goes against Rosen. So the one thing I think you don't want to see in this game if you're Steve Wilkes is you don't want this to turn into a 42-21 type of game where it's like the Chiefs are up 35 to, say, 10 at the end of the first half. You don't want to see this be a thing where you all of a sudden you start talking about, okay, are the Cardinals going to be facing more blowouts that are there on the road? Are you going to see Rosen take hits? I think that's going to be the biggest thing you want to see is, like you said, keep seeing that progress. Now, the question I'll pose to you, John, is what if that is, let's say that the worst case scenario does happen. The Cardinals end up having another blowout loss on the road, even coming after a bye week. There's not as many adjustments. Cardinals have only beaten the Niners then to date and have not looked good in any of the other games. Where would we kind of go from there as far as with the Chiefs? Would it be just be – what are kind of some of your thoughts at least about where we can take this as far as how the game goes? Yeah, I mean, if they get blown out, look to the next game. They play the Raiders at home. Like, that's a winnable game, even with how bad they've so been. You should you could, win, I think I would yeah. argue, with how bad they've been. Yeah, like the, the, the Raiders are arguably the worst team next to the Giants in the NFL. I mean, we think the Cardinals are, are pretty, pretty bad, but I think a lot of that is coaching. I think you looked around the league and most of what the national media is saying is the Cardinals have underachieved based on their personnel. Nobody thinks this is a playoff team. I think most people thought they'd be a competitive team, even with a losing record. I mean, like that was unacceptable what we saw in the first half. And so that, that's why it just, it's hard for me to believe that they're going to come out with a, with a bye week, with a renewed sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And a, a win offensive. they can build around. There's, there's a lot yep. of things going for them. That's why it'd be very disappointing if there was going to be a, yeah. a blowout loss that doesn't look like it has very much, maybe not effort, but it just looks like it's still a team that's lost searching for the identity 
just find something, find something you can kind of hang your hat on in this Chiefs game that you can move forward, just like you did with hanging your hat on the end of the Niners game. And the the thing I would at least say, John, to hang my hat on is in an interview with AZ Media this week, Byron Leftwich talked when they asked him about the fourth quarter. He said, well, a lot of the reason why we were effective in the fourth quarter was we set their defense up with plays that we called in the first three quarters, knowing we'd be able to attack them this way in the fourth quarter. And that's the type of chess matches that you talk about with a Kyle Shanahan when he had Jimmy Garoppolo was playing. with talk about the kind of games that Sean McVay would call at least especially with being able to kind of pull a game out of two against the Broncos and a close ones he had plays that they had called in the first half knowing they'd be able to get the defense uh, kind of baited and switch for something else in the fourth quarter which I least appreciate hang your hat on something like that at least and move forward that's what I would say for this week the Cardinals need to do they just desperately need to be able to show a continuation and a step forward in a sense of life versus a step backward yeah, I would also say, too, like, if anybody, I watched most of that game last week that the, the Chiefs had against the Cleveland Browns. Like, that was, a, that was a game into the third quarter. I mean, the Browns hung around. Mm-hmm. I think the halftime score was something like 20, something funny, like 21-15, and then Kansas City put the, you know, the gas pedal down in the third quarter. But, like, Kansas City, to me, is a team, I don't want to say that it's peaked too early, because mm-hmm. clearly they're still rolling offensively, but, like, as as the weather turns, I mean, Mahomes has never played in this kind of weather. You know, it gets, it, you know, I'm from the Midwest. It gets really cold and frigid mm-hmm. in that part of the country. Um, you know, I'm probably two and a half, three hours from Kansas City. Uh, and it's, it's different than September. It's different yeah. than early October. I mean, we're in the, we're in the first, second week of, of November now. It's like, that's, that's tough. And so I think they're going to continue to lean on the run game because it's been so effective, but like, remember last year, I, I know it was, it was his rookie season, but like Kareem Hunt kind of went into like hiding, like the, the second half of the season up until like the last, like one to two games, like Hunt had an amazing start to the season was going to break all these all purpose records. And then like, didn't do much in the start of November and the early portion of October. And then he picked up steam. I like, I feel like we could see a little bit of a lull from the chiefs, yeah, I could I could be completely wrong on this, but you know they're comfortable. They have a lead in their division. I know San Diego's a viable team, but it, at the same time, like look at the Chiefs. You know, um, schedule down the stretch. They get the Raiders twice. They get the Ravens, who are underachieving. Mm-hmm. You know, Seattle's not great. Look what they have in two weeks yeah. before they play the Cardinals. They play the LA Rams. They get the Rams at home. That's on ESPN. That's on Monday Night Football. You're, you're telling me there's not a portion of that, that team thinking we get the Browns and the Cardinals and we get to go play the Rams. Like we got this. We'll, we play the Raiders mm-hmm. afterwards. We got this. Yep, like trap game. Yep, yep. Yeah. Like this, this is the definition of a trap game. And again, I don't, I don't expect the Cardinals to win. I, I, I don't even know if I expect the Cardinals to, to cover or to, you know, <laughs> right. at the same time, I think it's going to be, we're going to sit here at halftime Sunday afternoon and we're gonna be like, oh, this is this is kind of fun to watch. They're playing competitive football. David Johnson looks effective. Like the Chiefs, the, are, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, the Chiefs are not anything special defensively. Uh, yes, they get Justin Houston back, but I don't, I don't expect him to be a factor at least for a couple weeks until he gets his feet under him. Uh, so I, I think there is a possibility where the Cardinals could hang around for a little while, and I do expect Josh Rosen to have a very nice stat line by the end of this game. 
Yeah, that would be the, the hope and the prog- progress, especially since the schedule is going to get tougher. You right now are built around if your defense hasn't been able to stop teams outside of the Niners, your hope that you can hang your hat on is that Rosen will be able to gain some confidence, grow and be able to develop is how it's moved forward. Because again, like you're saying for that one, the only other thing I can think of at least to watch for in this game outside of the, you know, with the, the Arians commentating, I think it was a great move by CBS to be able to have him and Trent Green. You kind of have a Cardinals and a Chiefs perspective in that sense in the early game. The biggest thing I think that you'll be looking for if you're a Cardinals fan is that Larry Fitzgerald's only 33 yards away from being able to hit the, the mark of basically being the number two overall. I think he passes Tony Gonzalez, I believe, is the next one after this one as far as that. But he's going to move up another spot. He's 33 yards away. He kind of got back on track. I don't know if he's going to – he's probably not going to have a 1,000-yard season, but with the amount of targets he's been getting – you're at least going to be looking at, you know, kind of redeeming the seasons of Fitzgerald and Johnson. I think that's definitely what you'll want to, to look for. The Chiefs, as far as with this being a trap game, I think that they're still too well-built and too well-coached. Occasionally you would have an Andy Reid type of dud. The 2017 season, again, to me does, like you mentioned, sticks out where they lost, I believe it was um, – one, two, three, four. It was about six of the seven games in the middle of their season that basically cost them a, a shot at being able to get that second round by. Uh, in a lot of different ways. It was just these losses were very close where it came down. It was like a 1913 to 31-30, 16-10. These close losses that came up at least where they just mismanaged the clock at the end. And some of that's been a pattern with Andy Reid. In recent seasons, they have not had that happen, at least outside of the Patriots game, which was because they've been able to just put up enough points to blow other teams out of the water. They get down or get close. They always kind of seem to pull something out at the very end. Um, the Cardinals are able to play like the Browns did, or if their defense can show a few new wrinkles after the buy and game plan. I think that's the best chance they'll have. We'll get to learn a lot about Steve Wilkes, obviously, with how he'll manage that. Uh, the last thing I think we should at least talk about, at least tonight on the Berg Game Blitz podcast, we'll come back to it, is taking a look at the rest of the season. We've looked a little bit already last week at how the Cardinals have played so far, at least in the team. We're going to kind of go through the position groups, do some quick grades that we'll hand out for how they've played so far, and then we'll wrap it up taking a look at what the Cardinals have to do. Do they have to win at the Raiders and Lions game to keep their job? And with the NFL draft coming up, is there a certain position that the Cardinals could be looking at to replace a potential first round? Yet we'll have to say the word, potential first round bust. We'll be next in the final segment here of the Bird Game Blitz podcast. We're back on the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. So, John, let's let's talk a little bit at least about we know we've, we've got a little a couple things coming up with the draft. We've got a couple things coming up with just going over some of the team performance. But let's get this question answered here first. Does, does Steve Wilkes have to win the Raiders and Lions games to keep his job? Or do you think that even if he goes 2-14, and 14, if the team is maybe competitive, maybe even if the team isn't as competitive of a team, do you think that this is a spot for Steve Wilkes to be able to keep his job? Does it need to have those wins or to show some of the competition do you think that's left will be fine? Because I do think that he is entering a little bit more on the hot seat versus a lot of coaches like Arians or Wisenhunt taking a while at least to have question marks because they at least had produced and won right away in the NFL or were able to turn it around. Wilkes just has not so far. Yeah, I think that uh, he has to stay competitive in the second half, whatever that looks like, Blake. And I, I can't put a, a win-loss number to it because I think that's irrelevant now because the Cardinals know who they are. They're you know, two and six on pace for four wins, which would be their lowest uh, win total since 2004. Um, but I, I would say it again. If the Cardinals are competitive in some way, shape, or form, if you have good mojo going with Rosen and Leftwich, 
And if Wilkes still has some kind of command with this locker room, players have respect for him. There's no more outbursts like Patrick Peterson. I think he's safe. I think that this franchise clearly they, they do their due diligence when they look for coaches. They Michael Bidwell is a patient owner and they tabbed Steve Wilkes is the guy to lead this franchise past year one. Um, the Mike McCoy situation was ugly. So was the Sam Bradford situation. Now you have no more excuses. You're playing your star rookie quarterback. You've elevated your, you know, your former quarterback coach to offensive coordinator that everybody around the league seemingly likes. Mm -hmm. And you are a defensive guru, so to speak. You need to be able to turn that unit into at least something respectable. So with that being said, I, you know, I think that you should win the Oakland game and you should be competitive. And, you know, I expect them to go Lambo and be competitive. I don't think the Packers are that good. Mm-hmm. I think that on any given Sunday, like if the Cardinals want to be competitive and play well, we've seen it. Like the Chicago Bears could make the playoffs. The Cardinals should have beaten the Bears. Like think about how crazy that is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think that the only way that he would lose his job is a continuation of what we saw against Denver that didn't happen. Cardinals played well, beat San Francisco. Mm-hmm. If they continue to, to showcase, you know, efforts like that, God, I'd say a, a improve upon that. He'll be fine. And I yeah. think, I think that they will, because I, I think that it, with Rosen at the helm now, offensively, you're just going to have, I think too much mo- good positive mojo going into next year, because I expect Rosen to play well. Yeah, we'll see, because for me, I'm still a little bit skeptical on some of that. Like, I think it's a great thing to turn around in the fourth quarter, come back, and moving forward. But the first three quarters, I think I remember I was having doubts and expressing concerns just because the offense was still looking bleak. I think uh, some of the Cardinals beat writers were even saying it almost felt like you needed a play on defense or a play on special teams to basically turned the tide just to get something going and it turned into in the fourth quarter instead was a long sustained drive touchdown to Fitzgerald and all of a sudden the defense just seemed to come alive so I think that's maybe some of what you're looking for is just that swing and momentum entering into the second half the concern I would have of course is if the Chiefs come out score and put that momentum right away I don't know if the Cardinals players are going to give up in that sense but I think you're going to have questions at least if they're going to say oh here we go again it's like this game right over again I want to see that fight that they'll have in them to be able to have that confidence to move And I do think, at least for me, I feel like that you should at least win the Raiders game should be a must. I would like to at least have the Cardinals have at least one definitive victory on the year where it's not just going to be like, you know, still a touchdown in the fourth quarter. They got a game similar to that already on the defensive side of the ball against the Niners. I would love to see that be a case where you can, you know, be able to put up enough points on offense and let the defense pin their ears back and run, run another team over. And the Lions game is another one where you've seen Detroit has struggled throughout the years. I think that that would be a team that I would love to see them. It's at home you've usually been able to boss around Matthew Stafford as long as you were under the Arians, even dating back to the Wizenhunt era uh, up until I believe 2017 with those last quarter touchdowns. So I would think that you would want to win those two games. If this is a two and 14 team, I think that that's going to show there's enough struggles and issues where I don't think that's going to be the case. But again, I've, Things have been awful and wrong, and we'll have to see. We were even overshooting some of what we thought about this Cardinals team coming into the season. Let's talk a bit, of, at least, about with where we've gone over some of the areas. Let's do a little bit as far as grades, just kind of going through, at least, for some of that. And I think we can start with quarterback, and this is going to be one of the interesting ones because I think when you're grading where the Cardinals currently are, I don't think I can do anything higher than 
a Dean terms of that's where the state of the team is and the state of how Rosen's playing. You know, we finally are starting to see some progression turning. It's hard to assign a grade, obviously, since we're only seeing them with left, which is offensive utilizing David Johnson. But so far, I've still seen at least enough out of that where it's not like we've seen a Deshaun Watson explosion or a Russell Wilson explosion out of Josh Rosen. Uh, what would you at least say, John, at least for right now, what would you grade as far as the quarterback position factoring in what we've seen, kind of including Sam Bradford in that conversation as, as we will unfortunately have to for those first three games? Yeah, I would do I would do a D. That's fine. Uh, I don't think Mike Lennon is anything more than the backup in this league. Uh, Sam Bradford was a complete embarrassment. Uh, and Rosen is essentially an incomplete right now because we haven't seen enough. And when he's been able to play, he's been hampered by poor offensive line play and receivers dropping balls. Uh, I think his, his numbers should be better than they, than they indicate the box score. And like, listen, the Cardinals could have attacked this differently. I mean, they could have gotten Ryan Fitzpatrick. They've could have gotten Josh McCown. Those were are more consistent entities in this league than Sam Bradford. They opted not to do that. They could have gotten Teddy Bridgewater for, you know, pennies on the dollar. And have just as much injury concern with him as you did with Bradford, if not less. That's right. And you Uh, would have gotten more productivity out of those three individuals that went for far less this off season that just the hurry to go out and sign Sam Bradford to brings the grade down to a D I think at the end of the season, though, if Rosen's playing well, it could go up to to as high as a B. Uh, But again, you're not going to have that explosion like uh, like Watson had a year ago, it's just not going to happen. But if he can play consistently down the stretch, have a couple flash games, you'll be fine. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to the running back position with David Johnson because I I would probably grade this one right now currently as a D just the same. I can't really say I can grade it higher. They haven't seen much else out of him or the rest of the positions. They haven't run the football very well or effectively. He still missed some blocks. I think maybe you could say at least a C plus when we've seen some of it with Leftwich as far as the play. But I would say that the running back position right now is just not, it's not performed well either for me, John. No, and all of these are like let's all grade on a curve because mm-hmm. of the the, the Mike McCoy factor, but yeah, I would, D is fine. I have no problem with that. Yep. Wide receivers with that. And I honestly, I think Christian Kirk is the guy I think you would give at least a, a solid B for what I would have. The rest of the team at least would basically give me a, probably about a D. Some of that is with Fitzgerald. You know, it's, it's not the age so much as seeing with how he's been used with McCoy and then looking at where it's been. I would give this one probably about a C plus if I had to be honest, because you haven't been good in terms of with the wide receivers. Like Chad Williams has just been playing so many snaps for such little production, unfortunately. But I think that you've at least seen enough where the wide receivers are, you just need to get another body kind of in there. You've got so many drops that have happened on the season. I think you give a C plus to a C minus kind of on that grade overall would kind of be my grade. I'd give a C minus considering outside of Kirk and outside of the lack of usage for Fitz. I, I just haven't seen enough to convince me that any of these guys coming back next year would probably really earn it or, or deserve it. Yeah, I would give them a solid C. Kirk, to me, I mean, he's on pace to be the, the highest, uh, most productive rookie receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Think about the offense he's in right now and, and the fact that he's good. doing that. <laughs> so I, I would give this unit a C. I think Larry could have a nice second half with, with left, which calling plays. Uh, but a, again, Larry may or may not retire at the end of the year. I mean, you could be, we could be sitting here in the spring and, and Christian Kirk's your only proven receiver on the roster. That's a problem. But right now, yeah, it's a C. Yeah. All right. Let's go and move on with the uh, talking about the tight end position, which for me, I would probably also grade it at least out as a 
I'd probably grade it as a D because Ricky Seals Jones, despite at least showing that he's got something in the passing game, it hasn't been like you've been able to say that this is a guy who's going to be more than a pass catching tight end too, because he's not been blocking. Gresham has just not been either the same guy or just hasn't been there. I, I would say this is probably a D minus in terms of just the fact that outside of a couple of catches that Seals Jones has made some impressive catches you want to build around. You almost would categorize him as a wide receiver and not a tight end in that regard. Yep, I'll go D as well. Uh, Jermaine Gresham, to me, that was an egregious contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's you lost Calais potentially over it. You might have lost Calais over it. Yeah, ridiculous. I think he's going to be a cap casualty at the end of the season. Uh, and then Ricky Seals-Jones, listen, undrafted guy, probably is no better than a number two receiver uh, in terms of your tight end. So a number two tight end that has some blocking deficiencies, probably needs to put on some weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, uh, he had a nice catch to, to set up the game winner last week. So... Still have some hope for him, uh, but yeah, I'll go. I'll go D as well. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, offensive line. Let's start with the tackles on the out and move our way inward because DJ Humphreys to me, I, he had the Denver game. He struggled with, showed some. It was kind of painful to watch at times, but the rest of the time, I think he's been your consistent, most probably I guess most productive even offensive lineman overall. I would think that at least at the tackles, I would probably grade as a C. I'd give this one. It's hard to say. I would probably say give it a B minus at least, considering that Wetzel came in and was solid. He was actually the highest graded pass protector. But Andre Smith has just been a turnstile for that. So I can't really give anything higher than a C, unfortunately. And I think Humphreys, he's proving it as far as his health. He's also showing that if there is a card, a possibility of landing an elite offensive tackle in the draft, and you're not able to get one of those top pass rushers, a defensive lineman. It's a possibility. I don't think that he's above replacing for the long term, but I don't think he's a guy that you're rushing out to say we need to upgrade. So I'd probably give these guys probably about a, a C minus if I had to be honest with the tackles. Let's see. What do you think at least about how the tackles have played, John, or with Humphreys at least that you've seen so far? Yeah, the Andre Smith signing never made sense to me because he has not been good really his entire NFL career at Alabama, but mm-hmm. really for the better part of two or three years, he's just not been an NFL caliber starting uh, tackle. Wetzel, to me, would have been nice to have as an option down the stretch. He, of course, has gone on IR now. Mm-hmm. That's, not a, that's not an option. Humphreys, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, he has played uh, – he's been productive at times. He, he got exposed against elite pass rushers. I mean, at the end of the day, like, if he can stay healthy and he can be um, slightly better than average, like, that – as sad as that is, like, that's an upgrade mm-hmm. over what the Cardinals have had historically. And so um, if you're not able to get like a Jonah Williams uh, in the top five, if you end up going defense, like you, I have no concerns with him. Again, health permitting him being your left tackle next year. I think Rosen's got mm-hmm. enough sneaky mobility. I think the problems on this offensive line lie on the in- interior. Yep. I think we'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, Humphreys, to me, he's fine. He's not Eric Flowers. He's not Levi Brown. But he's not, you know, Tyron Smith. He's not an elite. Le- he's not, Luke, um, he's not uh, the kid out of Tennessee. It's not the, the, even the kid from Detroit that they got out of Ohio State. Yeah. Um, he's just he's a, he's a fine, capable tackle. And, and who knows, in the NFL where you can't touch anybody now, maybe that's enough. So mm-hmm. you'd rather have that than be terrible. Yeah, and speaking of the interior offensive line, I think you're looking at probably I, I would have to give the position an F as far as not just with health and durability with interior run blocking. It's just it's it's been a mess. And I think I could throw in a center if we're going to separate. I would give at least a C plus to um, to Mason Cole there. He's done yep. a solid job for that one. I mean, you could probably argue B minus. I think he's shown enough times that he's gotten bullied around. He needs to put a little bit of extra strength in with that. I don't think he's solidified himself saying yes, this is your franchise center for the next years to come. But he's done a 
enough that I think you're able to say, yeah, this is a guy that's a starter that you can build around. I think that's all that you can say about the interior line. And some of that is on Steve Kime shows to bring back, uh, bring back Iopati instead of, uh, I believe, the guy who I thought was the more consistent guy they would want to keep at least over in Jared Valdir. And they also then went out and signed Justin Pugh, who had had injury questions and concerns. has not shown up the same ability he's shown in New York so far. He's struggled a lot in pass protection and run blocking, unfortunately. Yeah, I'll go touch on Mason Cole first. Uh, he wasn't supposed to play this year. Lyle Sandline was going to – or not Lyle Sandline. Um, what's his name that went on IR – the only torn ACL the Cardinals have. Yeah, Shipley, A.Q. Shipley. A.Q. Shipley was supposed to start the whole year, and the Cardinals actually extended him for next year. So Mason Cole, to me, he's he's done an admirable, admirable job. Uh, probably is not as strong as he needs to be to play center in the NFL. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think C-plus is fine. I might even give him a B. I know that pro football focus likes to kill the guy, but, I mean, he, he's a third-round rookie with playing with a rookie quarterback. Like, he's going through a lot of learning um, – you know, learning curves and um, growing pains. But, I, you know, at, at worst, he's a serviceable, interchangeable interior offensive lineman. The two guards, to me, are the, the story of this offensive line. They've been horrific. Mm-hmm. Mike Ayupati looks completely washed. Uh, they should have cut cut bait and probably gone with a with another rookie. And then uh, at, at the right, to, at right guard position, Justin Pugh, uh, none of us liked that signing at the time. I think we try to talk ourselves into it because – uh, they moved him around a lot on the Giants offensive line. It's like, oh, just put him at right guard. Like he has his you know highest grades from PFF at that position. Broke his hand. Like I wonder if you can get out of that contract in some way. If you can find an upgrade at both guard positions, you probably can't. You don't, hard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want that t- turnover. But I can say with certainty that the Cardinals will have a new left guard and right tackle going into next season. They could have more, but I know for sure that both of those positions will be filled by new players. Yeah, and that's where I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how they'll address the position in the offseason because I do think that Pugh's got to stick at right guard. I can't see him moving to left guard. I think you keep him there. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be equipped to play tackle, obviously. So that's, you know, I think we even talked about uh, a little bit off the air with some of the other tweets. I remember we talked a lot about Orlando Brown with the Baltimore, uh, excuse me, with the, yeah, with the Ravens now at least and how well he has played overall. That was just kind of a player that, you know, I think we're pretty high on. Kind of a miss for the Cardinals because you look at Mason Cole being a guy that's so far seems like a hit but we're talking about a tackle that would have been a right tackle you could have locked down that position for you know the next 10 years or so at that one with that third round pick potentially and maybe you didn't have as much opportunity since you already traded up for Josh Rosen and used up the higher of the third round picks but it was just a talent area where you probably should have been a guy that went a bit higher in the draft switching over to the defensive side I think that you're going to talk about the defensive line and I think that I would probably say Corey Peters a Rodney Gunter, probably about the C, and then the rest of the defensive line, at least, as far as the defensive tackles are concerned, probably at least a D at this point, unfortunately. And that does include Robert Kimdichie, who did not practice again today, at least had a calf injury now, in addition to the other ankle injuries he's had so far today. Agreed. I I echo all that. Corey Peters, to me, has been the MVP of that defensive line. Um, And... Somebody who I had a lot of high hopes for, Olsen Pierre, five and a half sacks last year mm-hmm. in this new scheme has just had no impact, which is disappointing because yeah. the Cardinals stashed him two years ago on their roster so he wouldn't be claimed on the practice squad. Uh, and so that hasn't worked out. Kim Dietschy, obviously, after a nice start to the season, not working out. Um, but again, that's going to be a position the Cardinals are going to have to address, I think, not only in free agency with somebody like a Sheldon Richardson, who's playing very well on a one-year deal with Minnesota, but, of course, you know, the Ed Olivers of the world, the kid out of uh, Alabama, Quinnen, 
there's going to be a lot not, of options. We're not talking draft just yet, John. We're not yeah, talking draft gonna just be, yet. There's yeah. going to be a lot of options up front for the Cardinals, so I'm not overly concerned, but it's that, that unit's underperformed for sure. Totally, totally agree. Uh, let's talk about with the defensive ends, because I think that the last game you have a little bit more optimism. I probably would pro- give it probably a B overall. After seeing with Marcus Golden taking that step forward, I think you can look at it as a B plus. Maybe you could say it shouldn't have been that. It's a little bit high, but I'll, I'll be optimistic and at least take a look at B plus. Chandler Jones has not been the same impactful player that he was last year with the Cardinals as far as leading the league in sacks and being maybe the best defensive player on the field in any game. But he seems to be kind of turning the corner and still being productive and still making plays. I think what concerns me the most is that there just still seems to be a lack of depth at the defensive end position behind Marcus Golden. I would have loved for them to kind of find a rotational guy that could have stepped up because now you're looking at if you don't end up, you know, end up having a shot of, let's say that the Cardinals do finish top three, end up with a shot at uh, Nick Bosa potentially, then I don't think that you really have a choice but to bring back Marcus Golden for a second year. That says that the Cardinals just don't have a lot of depth at the position right now. Yeah, I, I would even go A. I, I think that the um, the play of Chandler Jones is going to go to another Pro Bowl. It's going to have 10 plus sacks. Marcus Golden, to me, is going to be one of the stories to watch in the second half. I think he's looked very good, you know, health permitting. I'm not going to hold it against this unit because Marcus Golden hadn't been healthy. And even in Golden's absence, I thought his replacements did an admirable job. I think the, the problem is the Cardinals are never leading in the game to unload their pass rush. Um, and they're so susceptible to the run that it's just kind of like when can they pin their ears back and go? Yeah. And so I, I would, I'll give them a, either a B plus or an A minus just because I think that so much Chandler and man, I, I'd love to see the Cardinals lock up Marcus Golden if possible. Yep, definitely, definitely. All right, moving back to the linebacker core. Oof, Josh Bynes probably elevates them to a D. Reddick at least probably makes this a D plus for me uh, as far as coming on the last few weeks. Buchanan he played well at least against the Niners, but overall this was a probably just at least an F as far as the team. You still are looking at a lot of struggles and issues. I would think D plus would probably be what I would grade, at least for this linebacker core. There's, there's been a lot of Ds so far, John. Unfortunately, that's what happens kind of when you're two and 16. I'll go F uh, just because draft draft status, put it into that uh, equation. You're starting on, uh, you know, street free agents from August at, at one point to start the season. I'm going to go F for this unit. Most disappointing unit on the team outside of quarterback early on. Um, the expectations that were set by this coaching staff, by this administration, two first rounders, a linebacker that barely played the first four weeks of the season, uh, F for me. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and move into the secondary, the cornerback position. Honestly, this has probably been the strongest one of the team. Um, Jamar Taylor, at least was a disappointment. Uh, I think that's what keeps you from giving this as an A. Uh, but you would take a look at what Patrick Peterson's Ben Ben Wickery has done. Brandon Williams, for some reason, is still on this roster. I'm not sure why, if you're keeping him for special teams, his special teams has been bad. He's not even returning kicks anymore. He's probably going to be inactive on game days, at least it seemed moving forward. So I would give these guys at least probably the highest grade I'd give, which would be a B. You've still seen Patrick Peterson, despite the fact that he's not playing in a man coverage spot, be able to make an impact in the zone, with the, whether it's the tackling or with the interception. So I, I'd give these guys a B and feel comfortable about that. I think Ben Wickery is a guy who, unless you start seeing Julio torch him like he did a few years ago, and it seems like there's a collapse, I think he's a guy that as long as you're keeping Steve Wilkes, you want to keep Ben Ben Wickery on this roster. Yep, I'll go B uh, with uh, the two starters, Ben Ben Wickery and Peterson playing, good football Peterson playing at an all-pro level. I think he's the number two corner right now according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, yeah, the rest of that group I think is replaceable. Brandon Williams, this will be his last year with the team. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the last one, of course, would be well, outside of the special teams, which we'll kind of talk about in a second briefly, is safeties for me. Those guys, I think, would get a B as well. You look at Habuda Baker stepped up and taken on a role. He's still not maybe as dominant as Tyron Matthew was in coverage a few years back, but he's come into his own. I think that he's got a shot if he keeps playing well to you know maybe selected as a Pro Bowl alternate. He's not going to make it on special teams like he did his rookie year. But I think that he's a guy that is obviously one of the young core you'll be able to build around. And Antoine Bethea, has been again seems like he's ageless in a lot of aspects it seems like he may have battled um, a few more injuries but is still consistently playing each week it's been Trey Boston who actually has been out and not able to play him but they I believe leads the team in tackles he's going to have well well over maybe like close to 150 tackles this year at least just because of how the off the beginning defensive line of linebackers have just let a lot of guys loose into the secondary this year but I'd say that those guys probably get a B from me as well yep agreed echo all the things that you say all right, and then special teams, you haven't seen as much from the punt returning overall like you'd like to after the first two punt returns from Christian Kirk. That first one, I think, that went off for a while. And maybe some of that is just trying to keep him upright and safe since he's you know the one guy you can't really afford to lose. I flash back to the Tyron Matthew punt return injury. You look at the guy who obviously gets an A here would be your puncher, the highest grade you put on the team. I know you joke about the puncher being your MVP, but in this case, you can say that you're just happy that you've got you know him locked up long-term the Cardinals seem to have solved that uh, position at the same time a lot of other positions have gone down and Phil Dawson you know missed a kick at least that would have probably won them the Seattle game that you could take a look at other than that I think he's at least shown to be pretty consistent even on kickoffs don't think they needed really to have Matt McRae well maybe if Dawson's injury kind of flyers up again but the special teams overall a B minus I think you take a look at everything across the board the toughest thing for me is kick returns is just something where you're not getting a very good option for kick returns right now maybe we'll see something happen a little bit if you start seeing more returns happen with tj logan with his speed but that's kind of where you're at john overall you're kind of averaging out at around a d plus for the team as a whole and it's kind of what i would expect for a two and 16 yeah the, the entire team right now is underachieved outside of i would say maybe the rookies i think the rookies have been the the bright spot for this team Rosen and, and Kirk specifically um, nobody else to me outside of maybe like a Corey Pierce which really like if you're if your most productive player at any position is a 30 year old you know fringe defensive tackle on a one or two year deal like you have a problem uh, they're just not they're not dynamic enough offensively that's that goes without saying defensively they're inconsistent they're undisciplined uh, and they look kind of just not not well coached. I mean, that's been the, I think the biggest storyline the first half of the season, they, they look unprepared and not well coached. And so if, if those trends continue, we're going to see a change at the, at the head coaching position, but I expect things to get cleaned up to, to some degree, but the Cardinals just have too much talent in certain places. Like, again, I don't want to over, uh, overvalue the team. Like, like other fans of teams do. Like I know the Cardinals have plenty of problems, but they also have David Johnson. They've got some, I think, some some quality players up front on defense that just are capable of doing more. I mean, like, do you really think you know Bill Belichick wouldn't be getting the most out of Hassan Reddick and Dayon Buchanan? And maybe that's a bad example because Belichick does that with everybody. But I just, I think that there are opportunities that are missed with this group, and I just fear that letting specific guys go. They're going to have success elsewhere. I mean, I, I know for a fact you cut Dayon Buchanan tomorrow. He's going to go and start for like in Atlanta right away. So you better be sure that you tried to get the most out of him and just couldn't do it for whatever reason. 
Yep, yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's go and close out tonight, at least in the podcast, with a little bit of draft talk because I think that we talked already about this with Kandichi. You've got a lot of defensive tackles at the top of the draft. I think for me, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm getting excited about the fact that the team is still probably going to have a top five pick. I think also if the team wins out of a top five pick, you don't care as much because you're feeling more confident in Rose. And last year was the lack of stability at the quarterback spot. This year, I think there's enough talent that you have at the top of that draft that you feel pretty confident and pretty comfortable about at least, John. So talk, talk a little bit about what you're seeing as far as with the team, as far as just the needs are they going to be, I mean, I could see a need anywhere from a defensive tackle. I could see a need for an offensive tackle. I could see a need for the defensive end. If you end up, you know, lucking out into Bosa, at least for that one, um, you could maybe if you wanted to trade back a few spots, if you're in a spot, like I don't think the Cardinals are going to end up with the number one pick, at least unless they end up losing out the rest of their games, including to the Raiders. They might still even have to outpace the Giants in that regard, which is why I just don't, see it happening but talk a little bit about what you're seeing from some of this class from some of the needs and some of the players that you're looking for uh, especially even if the cardinals do end up deciding to move ahead with Kyman wilkes or if they end up being in a different spot what are you kind of seeing at least at the top of the draft that gets you excited is there one specific player you'd want to focus on i don't know if there's one specific player per se because i like a lot of the guys that are in this draft for what i think the cardinals need the Cardinals are in a great spot to come into this draft, obviously with the quarterback position set, knock on wood. The two biggest weaknesses on, on the Cardinals team right now is they can't run the ball, they can't pass protect, and then they can't stop the run. The lines of scrimmage were traditionally football has been won. Now it's more with you know quarterback play. But I, th- I think still, you look at both of those units, they could use upgrades any place, right? Chandler Jones is, is, a, is a great edge rusher, but you know depending on what happens with Marcus Golden, like – Marcus Golden's not going to deter you from bringing on Nick Bosa. He's just not going to do that. Nick Bosa is capable of being the first overall pick, depending on who has the pick. And so I think that would make a lot of sense. Obviously, somebody like Ed Oliver, defensive tackle from the University of Houston, who lives in opposing backfields, would come in and start right away. Uh, I think the same could be said for Quinnen Williams, defensive tackle for Alabama. He, you know, you think defensive tackle for, for Bama, and you might think traditional run stopper, but they've evolved. If you watch that team, they're in the backfield. They're getting after the quarterback. I think that's a position the Cardinals desperately need, need to look at. If they're, if they're picking maybe a little bit later, maybe a, a Dexter Lawrence defensive tackle from Clemson, that those, those, Defensive lines are going to be showcased, I think, a lot down the stretch. And so Cardinals will have plenty of opportunities to see them up close, specifically Bama and Clemson, because I think they're going to be in the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. On the offensive side, you know, we talked about it. I think Jonah Williams makes a lot of sense for this team if they're picking in the top five. Again, traditionally, you worry about the tackle position from Bama. We just talked about Andre Smith, Mm -hmm. but you watch the evolution of that Bama offense and what they run now is so NFL friendly. Oh yeah. So spread friendly where they used to be like, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust running it 50 times a game. That's not their offensive identity anymore. Jonah Williams is probably their most athletic tackle that they've had come out in some time. I'd have no Mm -hmm. problem sliding him in at right tackle next year. So those are the Mm -hmm. two positions to me, either defensive tackle, defensive end or offensive tackle that I would be completely fine with. I, I think getting cute and looking at a corner or a linebacker, assuming this team doesn't go on a, a crazy winning streak, not my cup of tea and especially not a wide out for as, as much as this team needs right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think for, it's interesting for me is when you start looking at when you hit the off season, if 
you're going to start looking some, I know some fans have looked at potentially finding the long-term corner next to Patrick Peterson. I don't think you're going to look at that. If you keep Steve Wilkes, I think that's because it's obvious that with the zone defense they're playing, you don't want to draft one of these two high man corners. That's there. You to look at Peterson, Ben Wicker, you can take a guy in a later round. If you did want to have another corner and you might not even need one, considering the fact that Buda Baker's probably your nickel guy. At least you'd be mm-hmm. looking at more of your late round special team developmental guy, hoping that that's the kind of guy that Wilkes would have. If he can show off at least a little bit more of part of why the Cardinals hired in this offseason, whether it was through the leadership and ability to manage a team. I think that if you do end up, let's say that Steve Wilkes is let go and let's say that Patrick Peterson leave one of the maybe like one of the say the worst case scenario happens for Cardinals fans. Depends on what happens with the new coach you'll bring in as far as you probably would still devote the pick to offense. But I could see the Cardinals, you know, like having to just because they need a body there, having to draft a guy, it's not like it's the greatest corner class in the world for that one. You'd probably have to put at least one of the picks towards replacing a player with that. But I really think that's going to be right now out of Cardinals fans, out of sight, out of mind until it happens. Let's not talk about it or view it until it ends up happening, at least just knowing that the Cardinals will at least either be content when fine at that position. If you start seeing mock drafts where people are giving them a corner for that one or assuming things, I'd say, yeah, it's going to be fine at that position. Don't worry about it. Let what happens, what happens. They'll be set either way, at least at the position moving forward. No matter what happens, they'll be able to find a way to address it. For me, I think it then just comes down to, are you looking at offense? You're looking at defense. I don't see them taking a wide receiver top 10. That's one of the things I think that is a strength of this class. I don't think you take one top 10 because it's so deep and there's enough players. I do think that you take a look at the defensive line, the defensive uh, tackles that I think Quinnen Williams would be a guy who'd be a tremendous fit. Maybe not the upside of the athletic profile of Oliver. We'd be looking at a solid player. The thing I think we'd look at at least is, is Jonah Williams going to be viewed as an offensive tackle at, you know, about 300. I think it's like not even 310 pounds. For me, I think I've seen enough technique, technique, no, excuse me, of technique out of the guy. I think you can take a look at, you know, Joe Thomas came into the league pretty light overall, still stayed around 311 pounds, wasn't a 330-pound mauler like a Tyron Smith is. I still think that he's shown enough that that would be a comfortable pick for me to be able to say, yeah, you bring the guy in, make him your right tackle perhaps for a year if that's going to be the case, similar to a Mike McGlinchey. Move him over if you decide you want to move on from DJ Humphreys. That to me seems to be kind of a pick that makes a lot of sense if you're not able to get one of those better defensive tackles. The thing I want to talk about, John, is what are we seeing from the wide receivers in this class as far as whether it's the second round of Arizona ends up making a move up what are some of the things you're seeing as far as with the wide receivers are there any players that have kind of caught your eye because i know a lot of the local cardinals and asu fans are eyeing Nikhil harry and almost want arizona to kind of focus in on taking him and i don't really draft that way but i can see some of the appeal of the hometown guy especially after drafting kirk talk a bit about what you're seeing from the wide receivers and where do you think the cardinals should address the position and maybe is it using multiple picks on wide receivers yeah, I'm not opposed to drafting receivers, and I don't, I don't want to come off that way. Um, but at the same time, I'm not a big proponent of taking them early and often unless there is a transcendent talent at that position, like a Calvin Johnson, a Larry Fitzgerald, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, where it's just like, man, I, we have to take this guy. We know he's going to be productive. Um, and even when guys are said to be like that, like a Justin Blackman, you know, things don't work out. Um, you look at that position receiver – it is, it is the position I think that can be found traditionally on day two and day three, more so than day one, based on the production that you're getting. Think about the, the three top receivers that went in the first round. What was it last year? John Ross and Corey Davis and Mike Williams. Uh, a couple of those guys have quality quarterbacks, and they just, they're just not productive enough for being, I think they all three of them went in the top 11. 
top 10. I, that's how we got Mahomes and Watson to, to potentially fall to the Cardinals was those teams kept overdrafting receivers. It's just not yeah. my, not my thing. I've, I've, I've been a firm believer that the quarterback makes the receiver. You just can't be terrible at the position. Right. And again, if like a Calvin Ridley falls to you and you're the Atlanta Falcons like that, I get that. That makes sense. Cardinals aren't in a position where they have a roster like Atlanta. The Cardinals have way too many needs where it doesn't matter who's playing receiver for you. If you can't block up front, if you can't stop the run defensively, um, Nikhil Harry, great player. If I had multiple first round picks, of course I'd consider him. I think Oakland is a team to watch for. Um, but you, you just saw what the Dallas Cowboys did, uh, acquiring Amari Cooper, who in my opinion did not warrant a first round pick for him in return. That, that to me, and I've heard this from league executives on Twitter or whatever, basically saying from media outlets, this receiver class is not very good. That's why teams are making trades now, not only to, to acquire receivers for this year, but to have them under contract for next year because they believe that there is nobody as good as Amari Cooper coming out in this draft. And Amari Cooper, to me, has is, is been kind of a shell of himself the last couple of years on pace for about eight, 900 yards receiving. Like The Cardinals can go and find quality pass rushers in the second and third round, just like they did with Christian Kirk. I mean, Kirk's the best receiver on this team right now. Um, you know, outside of Larry Fitzgerald, I don't think that's really fair to say. But at the same time, like he's going to be their number one receiver. You found him, you know, kind of in the middle of the second round. Like you can do that again. And now you've got two capable pass catchers. You want to go out and you want to splurge on a free agent. I'm, I'm fine with that as long as he's productive. Uh, the Cardinals are going to have 70 plus million dollars in cap space. I, I, it's, it's a position to me, like I'll get more into it as we get closer to the draft because I'll be able to dive into some prospects on day two and three, but uh, the Cardinals aren't going to be in the market for a first round receiver. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. The only way I see it happening is if they end up, whether it's uh, multiple picks or somehow there's a right, trade, trade down. Yeah. That's the only way that I would see it or the other part. And even then I think you'd have concerns or questions about like, Hey, did you just like, you know, trade down from your Terrell Suggs again would be the one question yep. that someone have uh, for me. It would be more of, Hey, if you want to get that fifth year option cheap for that, and you see a wide receiver, you'll like move up for that one. A lot of people looking at AJ Brown this year. I think for him, he's a guy who I think is going to end up, you know, he's a six one two thirty guy with speed. He's a very productive guy. I think that some people are looking at him as potentially being a big slot. He did struggle in this last game outside. He seems to remind me of an Amari Cooper a lot, actually, in terms of a guy who maybe is never going to, he's like, is going to impress and test the heck out of it, but maybe isn't going to take that second step outside. I know a lot of the Cardinals fans, when we were talking about Nikhil Harry, he's a guy who fits Rosen incredibly well as far as being a guy who can make contested catches. He's grown improving and being able to at least separate. He still doesn't seem to separate as much. He's not going to be like a Michael Floyd down the stretch where, you know, he's not able to separate, can only really make the magical catches. Um, maybe you're looking at a second round guy who would the comparison I've looked at is Alshon Jeffrey coming out. There are a lot of questions about him in areas and he turned out to be a very productive guy just because he's still a natural receiver overall. Mm -hmm. The guy who I think is most curious, most interesting to me, honestly, would be uh, a guy like Marquise or Hollywood Brown out of Oklahoma because you talk about the arm strength of Josh Rosen wanting to push the ball downfield. You look at a guy who like him who is probably one of the best, uh, most elite uh, downfield playmakers who can still make things happen in the short game that we've seen over the last few years was a stud, maybe the best receiver on the field ever since he stepped on the field at Oklahoma. That to me would be a really interesting type of pick maybe if you end up able to take him top of the second and move up into late first. Now the NFL loves speed. We did unfortunately see a guy like that go with the the high draft picks at least I think with um, the John Ross recently. So maybe he's not available. That seems to be a guy if you're asking, hey, what would it look like if 
J.J. Nelson, you know, was actually good. Well, you, you'd get John Brown, and that's I think that Hollywood Brown might be that type of a guy, at least, if you're especially going to keep Byron Leftwich in the Bruce Arians offense. Um, Colin Johnson, another guy, at least as far as a name that's going to be there. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals decided to say, you know what, we're going to wipe a, a clean slate. You'll need to get a player no matter what if Larry Fitzgerald is going to retire. I think that based on what it is right now, if the team can put together enough competition, maybe he comes back for one more year with Rosen. Maybe if you end up seeing a bunch of turnover with the team, it's not the case. It's, it's all up in the air. Fitz is the one who will decide that. But for me, I think those are the areas that I would lean toward. And then I think that personally, I would take a guard on day two as much as I would love to have a wide receiver on the first on the, uh, end of the first round. Because I do think it'll be that much of a need, especially if Fitzgerald leaves. You'll probably see that pick. But I would say you need to take an interior offensive lineman who can be a right-away starter. You're not going to be able to really get that guy at the top of the draft. Maybe that's your tackle that's there. But I think you need to start – and investing picks into the offensive line. Clearly, Steve Kime has thrown as many resources at that area as possible without actually getting that much production outside of eight or nine games in the 2015 season, John. And I think that's what you're going to be looking for as the Cardinals is that the strength of this draft really kind of falls into the defensive line, some of the corners, and some of the, uh, the I guess you could say, the Areas it doesn't really seem to favor the linebackers as much. So there's a lot. This may be what we're talking about is a maybe not a Rams type turnaround in one off season, unless you know you end up with an offensive coach and it can make up for some of the defensive inconsistencies with your talent. John, this might be looking at maybe not a 2019 year of kind of competing or getting back into. You might be looking at 2020 potentially for just where the Cardinals are and for the free agent class. I think they can turn around and make a playoff push next year. But as far as that, it does seem like this is going to be not like you know, hey, we're in the playoffs and winning our division for the, the next year for that. I think it's going to be a kind of hold on, have some patience, and let's see a lot of how the development takes place. Um, especially with you're talking about the draft picks and let, are probably not going to have a New Orleans type uh, type impact right away. Yeah, I mean, they say that to get back on track, build a Super Bowl roster, you have to hit on three off seasons and three drafts, mm-hmm. right? And that's yeah. what New Orleans has done. So give them credit. But the Cardinals, to me, they could they could make it happen. You, you need to see a, two things would have to happen for them to be considered playoff contenders for next year. You, you'd have to have some kind of ascension from certain players the second half of this year. So like Hassan Reddick would need to become a very good player the second half of this year and find mm-hmm. find a defined role on this team. Uh, and then on the flip side, somebody offensively like, you know, DJ Humphreys would have to, you know, become a great left tackle. Yeah. And then you go into the off season and you'd have to have a heck of a free agency period. And, and bring in not not just quality players, but young quality players that are entering the prime of their careers or in their late 20s that you can get production from. And then you'd have to kill the draft with immediate impact players. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible, but I think now we're thinking more like, hey, can they get to 500 next year and be competitive? Mm-hmm. Then, like you mentioned, 2020 comes around. You've started to maybe learn how to win a little bit. You found that sweet spot with a lot of these other players. You're still at that point not paying Rosen for three more years. So yeah. the clock's ticking, but you've got time, and at least he's playing now. The, the goal is to win a championship. This franchise has never won a Super Bowl. They hadn't sniffed one before Ken Wisenhunt in 2008. They haven't been back since. That's the goal. And at the end of the day, the best way to do it is what the Eagles have shown you, um, mm-hmm. what the Rams are showing you now. Uh, what the Chiefs are showing you now, got to get that rookie on a rookie deal at the quarterback position and then load up the rest of your roster. I think Steve Kime can do it. 
Um, but he's got to be better in the draft. And he had a good start this past season, uh, this past offseason. I thought he had a really nice draft. So if he can duplicate that, I mean, like, honestly, if you're hitting on your second and third rounders and you just get solid contributors, you know, half, half the way with the rest of your picks, you're going to be in good shape. But, um, you know, he's going to be able to hang his hand on the fact that he found his top quarterback and his top receiver and potentially an interior offensive starter. Yeah, I know. There's, a, there's a, it's like it's interesting. There's a lot of holes, so maybe you talk about, hey, maybe you should trade down and fill some of those holes in. But they've got the whole free agency period. They'll have tons of cap space right. and money. I think the Cardinals. Should, I want to see a transition for kind to start trading some of those later round picks potentially for guys who are veteran starters, maybe on their last year of their deal, yep. so other teams can you know say, hey, they're going to get a big contract for that one. We can get we trade a fourth round pick for a guy who's a veteran starter, and then we know, hey, we're only going to get a fifth or sixth round comp pick for him. That's I think the path that a lot of teams are showing to success. We even saw it again here with the Rams they traded away another pick at least to bring in a Dante Fowler not a great edge rusher but at least a step up for them I think that's what fans are going to be looking for down the stretch at least is uh, we're probably not going to see as much adjustments as far as with Kime we're hoping that you can see a pushback like they saw in 2016 and 2017 finding a little bit of cohesion on the offensive line and I think that that's what we're looking for with the Cardinals is just make a step forward and so you don't take two steps back take a step forward um john as we get out of here tonight what are your predictions for sunday outside of uh like for me a lot of just looking at the grades everything outside of just like looking at the pain and misery of how the cardinals two and succeed and has gone so far what, what are you expecting as far as your final score i'm gonna go with something kind of creative i think the cardinals get to to 30 points this mm-hmm. week um i think they're gonna have a, some kind of unique score whether it's special teams or defense um i don't know why just they're kind of due for that and i think their offense is going to play better so i think they're going to score 30 the problem is i think (laughs) i think the uh the chiefs are going to score 40 plus so i think the cardinals are going to cover but i think the final score is going to be something to the effect of 42 to 30 but i think it's going to be a kind of a fun competitive sneaky game on sunday that's that's my hope I have nothing to back that off of other than maybe trends of both teams and then potentially the Chiefs looking ahead. I mean, the Chiefs can score 20 a quarter if they want to. So, Yeah, for sure. I'll go with – I'm going to at least say that I think that because of where the defense is, because of the injuries and what's happening, I'll at least think that the Cardinals – I don't know if they'll be able to slow them. I do think it's going to be something like a – Let's say that it's going to be, I think the first three quarters, it'll be like something like close, like 31 to 21. Cardinals will keep it closer. I think it'll end up being something like about, I, I, I don't know if it's going to be a 40 points at least for that one, just because I think the Chiefs are going to come out. I don't see this being a good enough defense to be able to slow and limit them. This is a team that, again, you look at how just they've played throughout the season against the good offenses. They did well against the Bears at home. They did well against uh, at home. They did horrible against the Broncos. I'll go at least and say 36 with the Chiefs, and I'll say it's 24 with the Cardinals. I think that it could end up being a case where I don't know if they're going to be there just for the 30-burger yet. Now, if they do end up getting a pick six or some type of defensive play to set something up for the Chiefs, which they haven't had a lot of those from Mahomes this year, but it is possible, then I think you're going to be looking at maybe more of a 40-30 game, and that's would be probably my hope is that this is still close enough in the fourth quarter where you're not talking about like, hey, like why is Rosen still taking hits? Why did we see the Broncos game again? That is something I think they've moved past that enough with Byron Leftwich coming in. Don't think they're going to have that again, but 
But again, I don't think this is going to be a game where I'm going to at least say the Cardinals will cover, but I think the Chiefs are going to score over their average of 36 points or at least come pretty close to hitting that 36 points on the season because that's who they are, John. That's who they are. I don't think this is going to be a huge blowout where we're just complaining for that one, but I do think that it is going to be a spot where this is going to be the Chiefs win. What you're looking for is what are the positives to take out for the Cardinals that they can then generate an offense to come in and hopefully be able to have a stronger, convincing win against the Raiders next week. Any more thoughts on that before we wrap up tonight? Yeah, I just I, I want to see continued progress offensively, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, and uh, they did a lot of good things in the fourth quarter two weeks ago. I, I Granted, it was against a bad San Francisco team, but I'm hopeful that we'll see some improvements again. For sure. All right. Well, that's it for us tonight. This is going to be the kind of the end of our, I guess you could say we, we had our end of season one kind of last year as far as for this podcast. This will be kind of officially one of the marks of the end of season two since we're going to be rebooting. We'll be having the Revenge of the Birds podcast at least moving forward, hoping to bring a bit more content for you guys. Uh, again, you can keep following us for that one. We're going to be kind of changing around our Twitter account. We'll have more of that in a little bit as we kind of just rebrand from the Bird Gang Blitz. It's been a pleasure for all you guys who were kind of there through the beginning of the Bird Gang Blitz day for those of you who are with us currently again i can't thank you guys enough for listening um john as we sign off for tonight uh where can they find you on twitter again as always uh i am at johnny's football j-o-h-n-n-y-s football blake where can they find you i'll be at blake murphy seven and on the revenge of the birds say we're super excited at least with everything we've got moving forward i mean it's it's a tough season and cardinals fans have wanted to talk about that we've got all sorts of other great content other great writers to dialogue with as well um yeah thank you guys again go cardinals hopefully john we're if we could end up being talk about a trap game and a win next week from something the cardinals spill on that would be obviously the best case scenario for the cards i would come in and at least pretty much thrilled if that would be the case so uh hoping for a card yeah keep it interesting hopefully hoping for a cards win something to build on obviously as always that one and um we'll be checking in at least after the chiefs game take care folks thanks again for listening my name is spencer hall my name is jason kirk my name is ryan nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown full Voltron. i keep telling you we're not Voltron. the shutdown forecast is technically a college football podcast but it's also a show about lawn care disasters regional grocery stores we love Tennessee Batman. Homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.